Welcome to the Powerhouse Podcast, the podcast where we delve into the world of inspiration, motivation, and creativity. My name is Tomo, and I'm thrilled to be your host. In this show, we will explore the brief but powerful moments that spark creativity, drive motivation, and bring joy to our lives. From successful entrepreneurs to everyday people, we'll hear inspiring stories and perspectives on how to cultivate positivity and achieve personal development. So whether you're looking for a boost of energy in the morning, or a shot of inspiration in the middle of your day, or a reminder of what's possible, tune in to the Powerhouse Podcast and let's ignite the fire and turn our dreams into reality. What's up, beautiful people, and welcome back to our Powerhouse Podcast. Uh, Today on the show, I have an incredible guest. Uh, So somebody that I met fairly recently, and I was completely blown away by, uh, not only by his presence, and uh, just by his attitude, but also by his level of skill. So we'll be talking about leadership today, about the future of work, and, you know, how you can imagine it with everything going on today in the workplace from, uh, you know, uh, people talking about quite quitting, then all sorts of hiring problems being there. Uh, you know, leaders are basically in the midst of scrapping by and saying, how can I actually like re-envision my organization completely? Uh, team members at the same time, employees uh, face all kinds of other challenges. And so we would like to talk about a little bit today about how this can look in the future and what you can look forward to hopefully and maybe contribute to uh, as we step into well the way we work differently and uh, a bit to my uh, about my guest today uh, his name is uh, Imran uh, Rehman and um, I hope I didn't butcher the name completely uh, no, and- you did. thank you <laughs> fantastic Imran is 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 an expert in the coaching uh, and the consulting space. He's been really around helping organizations from all around the globe uh, when it comes to, uh, well, how they work together, how better teams work together. And uh, he's been basically in that space for many, many years, even decades, you could say, um, up until 2018, where he started building uh, his own technology startup, you could say, uh, called Kokoro. And Kokoro is really a fantastic uh, way to re-envision uh, the way how teams work together, uh, because with that, uh, you know, they, he basically started creating with his team a way, uh, a completely different way of measuring performance, because they said, well, the way how we measure performance and how we really look at this and how teams really actually work well together is completely broken. We have to do this differently. And their tool that they've developed has really delivered uh, some amazing new ways to do that. And I'm really excited to bring that to you today and to talk a little bit about uh, how that can look like and how you can benefit from that. Imran, welcome to the show. Thank you, Tomar. I think I can leave now. You've done it. <laughs> so. <laughs> so good enough. Let's leave it here. Uh, nice, beautiful, Imran. We're talking about the future of work today, uh, you know, yeah. and um, that's been a, a topic discussed quite a few times. I mainly bring that forward because um, my personal belief is that uh, you know our futures created by entrepreneurs, and entrepreneurs are vastly inspired by um, what I would say uh, science fiction, you know, or some sort of future vision, uh, and. Oftentimes uh, we ask, hey, where is everything going? And then we start to just like understand where everybody else is going. And I would actually understand what where would it be, what would be great uh, for us? Where would it be great for us to land as you know, a workforce um, in the near future? Like how would you love to see a future of work uh, you know, uh, happen and come along in, in today's society? What, what is something you envision as, as something that would be great? Well, I think I have to go back to the word Kokoro because... For those who don't know, um, Kokoro has um, a few meanings. It, it means heart, but not the physical heart in Japanese. And what it does, it brings together um, your head, 
your heart and some sort of spirit, some sort of soul. And I think that is, if something can, if what I love about the word is that I have to say it in a few sentences in English and in Japanese, it's just one word. And I think that's what I believe is going to be the place where we need to land. There's a few things we really need to integrate that we need to, you know, infuse with it, with each other. And I think the most obvious one is the environment we live in, um, that we take care of that. Like it provides for us, we should also provide it its space. Um, there is the whole idea of just the human experience no matter you know why is the concept work-life balance broken because somewhere in that statement is the idea that you can have too much life no you can't um you can't have too much life you can only have too much work and so that human experience needs to be fused in with that environment and then there's the organization the organization that delivers some sort of value um, either for families, societies, countries, you know, whatever you do, an organization will deliver some sort of values and, and that has to integrate in there. So if we can bring those three things together in a way that it creates kokoro, then I think we would have landed somewhere. And that, I, I, you know, that future of work is something I could work towards. And I think that that, that does get me out of bed every day. That's nice. Way. Yeah. That's beautiful. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Is there, you know, uh, is there any uh, specific example of that that you have kind of seen? Uh, so for, for people who are more, who need a more concrete example of, yeah, hey, this is how this I, could look like. So it starts off with the small shops, like, you know, let me like get this together. Like in some ways, when you find a shop that produces, for example, soap, there's a shop in Vienna, Austria, where I live, and they have sourced their product from a place where the people that create that material, so you can create soap, that they earn enough money. Um, they have set up their business in a way where we know one of the most successful ways to set up companies is that people who work for your company own the company, so everybody in the company owns part or um, in some ways have ownership in the company and then what they provide for the customer is a product that is ecologically friendly and however you use it at home in the bath in the shower um, at the sink washing your hands you know you've got a very very good product in your hand that is good for your hands and also good for the environment and for the overall experience that's started for, throughout the whole value chain and that's a small shop you know, they've only got two shops in Vienna, but that's just a very small idea of what a circular economy could look like. Mm. And just imagine when larger organizations do it or um, when governments do it, when we as um, communities do it. Um, and I think that's the thing that really is important for me is that it should be a group doing it mm. and not every individual being given the onus that it's your job so stop eating meat yeah okay if you if for health reasons do um but you're not going to change the world with just you becoming a non-meat eater or a non-dairy eater or whatever you decide to do um, mm. on an individual scale does that help 
Yeah, I love that. I love that because uh, I think uh, other than usually, I mean, most conversations, people would say, hey, this is what you need to do. And you're essentially changing the focus from the individual to say, hey, you have to do everything from like, hey, you as a group, like find the group or 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 empower a group to actually do something together because it's easier, right? And because it's more fun. Also, we, we do elevate. You find contentment. Groups. You find, you know, whatever, however you want to define happiness. But one thing you, the only way you can find contentment is in a group, in community. Mm, and that beautiful. community can look in many, can, it's got many, it can look and be structured in many ways. But ultimately, community is about, you have to bring a contribution. And all other organizational structures we have today is about taking. Mm. So whether you look at a hierarchical structure, whether you look at project management structures, whether they are agile or waterfall, or whether you look at entrepreneurial structures, it's always about taking, mm. challenging, pushing the boundary. Mm. Um, and community doesn't do that. Community is maybe the only one out of all those structures we have, which is about a contribution and about the human experience. Mm. Nice. So, I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. that. yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's a very then, big shift from completely big shift distinction-wise from from taking yeah. to so, and contributing. Then, exactly. And if you go into a bit more detail, you can then start saying, okay, so how, do I need hierarchy? Can I get rid of hierarchy? No, you can't. Because hierarchy very often gives, whether it's flat or non-existent, hmm. you can't feel it, then it still provides stability and it provides some sort of efficiency. Hmm. Like, you know, because um, in a family, um, no matter how it's set up, the ones who are dependent on adults can run to an adult and go, look, I've hurt my finger. Please put a, you know, please help me. Or I'm hungry. I can't cook. I don't know how to because I'm still learning as a child. So there is a, an, you know, there's a hierarchy to things and you have to talk about how you want to have that. Mm-hmm. Then people then come back to me and goes, yeah, but what's wrong with, you know, what's, you know, what, what's wrong with waterfall? And I go, there's nothing wrong with waterfall. There's nothing wrong with agile. It's just a project management mm. way of looking at the world and organizing things. And however you do that, whether it's a mix, whether it's hybrid, whether it's um, lean, I don't care what you use, but ultimately it's about creating an effective way of working. Mm. Yeah, so before you're working, that you're creating value. And then comes the last one where people then talk about entrepreneurship, isn't it? And entrepreneurship is always about adaptation. Mm. And it can only be principle-led. And so what you people, when you bring that all together and you start realizing, oh, so can I have all three? Of course you can. And the best part is once you've got all those three in place, how do you add the community structure to it? Because then people can find how they, what experience they need to be content. Mm-hmm. That's, what, that's what the community structure does. So we have to create really complex systems to yeah. make it work. And it sounds really complex because now you've got to put four things together instead of three. And in the past, we only had one, and that was a hierarchy and some project management. Hmm. Right. Yeah, beautiful. Thank you so much for that. And uh, just to get back to one of your earlier points, because you were, uh, in essence, uh, what I heard you share is, um, you know, f- for good work in the future to happen, what's what's what you would advise to say, hey, let's build more uh, circular, more sustainable companies when we when it basically by 
uh, a giving uh, employees part of the share of the company so that they're more committed, more dedicated to the company. B, uh, giving, uh, making sure that when the company is set up, it's set up in a, in a way that all stakeholders are actually uh, taken care of in a way, right? So that there's nobody's taken advantage of, so to speak, and we create value throughout win-win situations everywhere. But I, I wonder, because I know for, for new companies, that sounds fairly okay. Like you can design a new company in a way where the first time you negotiate something with, uh, or you look for suppliers, right? You'd be like, okay, let me find somebody who's actually doing this well and right. Um, but how do you do it with existing companies? Like is how easy is the switch from, hey, I've had uh, a company that's been completely focused on revenue this entire time. Just that's basically the only thing it's been doing since forever. And now let me try to to change that into a different style. You've advised many companies, I mean, and people throughout the years. How, how yeah. does that land usually? Well, when you very hands-on. I mean, ultimately, they all somehow want to have a mindset change. And I say, don't start with mindset. If you want to be hands-on, change the context. That's what Tell you do. So like a simple change in context could have profound effect. So one thing you could do is you're saying you're running a, um, an organization and it's focused on KPIs and numbers. Um, it's very sales driven. And um, and there is, the performance system is always, always about the individual. Um, but we do know one thing uh, is that the most important unit of performance is the team. The team is generally the group of people that get the work done. Um, what if you just then took the focus of the individual performance and said, we're going to incentivize team mm. instead of individual? That's it. Change the context. How do you do that? Bonuses. Don't do monthly bonuses. Maybe do quarterly team bonuses. Mm. Then you'll suddenly have a movement. And people will start thinking, hang on. So what we collectively sell is what's going to produce our bonus then people start thinking well hang on wow will that also impact customer centricity of course it will because customer centricity is killed by short-termism it's it's killed by people in the organization striving to get higher bonuses um, because it's done on a monthly basis I love that. I love that. One second, because yeah. I just want to chip in here because I actually know, for example, of sales teams who do that. And I have a question that probably would come up for them as well yeah. if they're yeah. listening in. All right. And that would be, let's say you have somebody who's like a really good salesperson, right? And they hear that, right? And they're like, hey, you know what? From next month on, we want to implement quarterly bonus instead of monthly, uh, instead of individual ones as well, quarterly and team, right? So which means uh, even if you're the best at sales, it doesn't matter anymore. You actually have to lift everybody else with you up. Have you have you noticed any uh, like what what is usually is there any roadblock or challenge to implementing yes. this in the company context? And what is it? Yeah. Always um, there's going to be tension because whenever you create any sort of change, the only there's only three things it produces: confusion, hmm. tension, and underperformance. Okay, so we'll always do those three things. And the rest is then how you lead people through that. Hmm. That's it. As simple as that. So you'll have to create a space where people can talk about this and say, this frustrates me. Why? Why is this? Why do we have to do this? And um, there might be some really big reasons. It could be, hey, we're working in a, um, we know in the next five years, the market will be so saturated. The only thing that's going to make the difference is the, the customer experience we give our customers. And what's going to keep them close to us is the fact that they know that they have a whole team behind them 
um, and not an individual salesperson that is always fighting for them when they go back to the organization. Because very often those are, I mean, I come from sales and I ultimately did sales in, in our family um, growing up in London and I did sales in organizations. And today I still do sales because I got a software company hmm. um, and I'm learning how to sell software, for example, which is something new. And, but it, you, you'll keep finding that it's a lot around team selling. Hmm. And when teams start selling, um, it, the numbers go through the roof. Wow. The only problem you have then, obviously, is if you're dealing with large territories. And in larger territories, what you have is then you have one person working in one territory. And that's when you get then these individual sort of, sort of salespeople that become very strong in a territory. Mm. And what people try to do then is try to make them into a team. And what you don't want to do is make them into a team because they're actually not more than a working group. So it requires a different group structure. So stop calling them a team and think about, well, hang on, how, what structure would help them feel more like a working group that is highly coordinated, highly organized, mm. and is aiming for the best numbers for the region or for the country or for the continent? I don't know. I'm just trying to sure. show you that context. For me, if you want to change mindset, get the context. And that's beautiful no i think i just think that's... the context is just change certain rules or the way you work at a structural level so the context changes then the behavior might follow a new behavior might follow but behavior if behavior follows then there will be tension confusion and underperformance mm. and if you lead them through that then the mindset will change nice and, and currently uh, I... the way we work is the other way around we say i sit there moaning and groaning as a leader mm. and also sometimes just saying in a frustrated manner God, we've got the wrong mindset in our country. You're thinking, hmm. yeah, that is the problem because you're starting from the wrong end. Hmm. Do something, change something. Nice. And then lead people through the confusion, the tension, and the underperformance. Yeah. Um, thanks for that. I mean, this is, uh, you know, very different and amazingly new fresh perspective of uh in in terms of business conversations that i you know i i rarely hear and so that's oh, why thanks. actually i'm very very happy and and so honored to have you on on the podcast today um can we go a little bit uh, on a tangent here i'm uh, you know we talked a little bit about future of work you know how it look great when we put more heart into it as well and then we put the community and and the team in, in uh, forefront um and we talked a little bit about the people who would be basically leading that change, who are leaders, or even if it's small businesses, then it's often the, the, the CEO, right, or whoever runs the company. Um, and I, I would love to actually understand, uh, you know, how what have you seen? What really matters uh, to people who really, you know, lead a, a team, lead a, a company? Cool. Uh, I love that topic because I think there's two elements. Number one, I think most of us see that most organizations are looking at people and team enablement at the moment aren't they they're looking at that because of the pandemic yeah mm. and the other side of it is they're realizing god we've got a big skills gap mm. and if i'm not yeah. wrong something like an eight trillion dollar skills gap okay it's no small number what does that mean I, when you say um, eight trillion million, um, I'm like, i don't know if like that means. when you look at it the amount of money we have to investigate people to understand all the technology and also the, the what i call the power skills you know the skills mm that are highly complex behaviors in the way we communicate with each other and make things work. Mm -hmm. And you saw the first wave of digitalization polarized us. 
Mm-hmm. It's, you know, um, with little groups that ran off and became extreme, with influencers, with some type of, you know, the marketing becomes so targeted. It makes you, it almost shows you that you care. So marketing is showing you that you care. But at the end, um, you realize they just want to sell something to you. So there's lots of things happening. But ultimately, we're looking at giving people skills to navigate a digital world, mm-hmm. as well as we're trying to enable people and teams with these skills because we're going to have difficult conversations. We're going to have to make it inclusive because we have to become better at this, at seeing more talent. We'll have to also um, balance supporting people, but also giving them autonomy. So all these are skills that we need to get out there. Mm. And those two things are going to be really key. So enabling people and teams, but also upskilling people. And that gap is huge. Mm. It's huge. And that is why I feel L&D needs to change. The way we train people needs to change. And one thing I do know is that if you can give people some really um, intuitive data while they work, and they can have the conversations themselves, then they learn and they grow. Humans mm-hmm. are amazing, but you don't fix them. You create the environment in which you allow them to grow, and they will grow. Mm-hmm. They do grow. But one thing you'll be clear about: if you, you know, if you give them a, if you know, if the company's got a great strategy and they know where they're heading, then the next step is to upskill them, focus mm-hmm. on the teams, mm-hmm. give them data, and let them go. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, I love that. And you know, uh, when you talked uh, to to when you talk to leaders about that, uh, what what's their what's their usual reaction? I'm like, yeah, cool. Uh, no, that sounds amazing. Know, get, let's do get, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's some um, just don't. Uh, do you know the biggest one at the moment? I have just got back from South by Southwest and I held a talk on the science of great teams hmm. in front of 50, 60 senior executives. And the two topics that came up were team burnout Hmm. and the second topic that came up was setting this resetting dysfunction in teams so how do you reset a dysfunctional dysfunctional team those were the two topics that came up again and again and it was the biggest worry and i'm finding over the years the biggest thing that's come up is how do we make time for it how do we make what time what time for it how do we time make for time it. for it? Yeah, that's yes. the biggest question. We have no time. We've got to do business. Yeah, but if you make time for it, then you'll be able to do more business. But at the beginning, like I said, you'll first get some confusion when you make time for the team. You'll get some, you know, um, tension, maybe some conflict, some difficult conversations, and ultimately performance will go down. Mm. So, like, it's one of the things that people always then, you know, people. There was a question in the room. They said, "Hey." Imran, what about this sense of belonging? How do how is best way of creating that? And I said, well, do you know, like when you have a homogenous group of people who all think the same, they're actually really easy to lead and they produce a lot. Mm. The worst and the, not the worst, the most difficult thing is when you have a diverse group. Um, you got it's really difficult to get the best out of it because they will underperform, and they will perform lower than a homogenous group because you've got to spend more time leading them and help them find their strength collectively together because you're bringing more components together right. and that's what people forget and that's when the dysfunctions then come in mm-hmm. and people then start saying how do i do that well focus on making time for the team and 
I think the, the biggest issue is it always seems to come on top of work. So my question, leaders always ask me this question. They say, Imran, how do I do it and make it part of work so it doesn't come like work on top? That's the biggest question. And it's about time. Nice. Nice. I love that. Love that. Um, you know, when it's about time, I know uh, you do something really well in, in Kokoro. And I think it, it would be great to actually, uh, you know, talk about that here because, um, yeah, time I've seen to be the, the issue as well uh, as one of the biggest ones. However, funny enough, uh, that uh, if you suggest for people to actually, uh, you know, create more time, they will not do it, right? Or they will they will resist. They will actually want more time in order to work, and so so it's like this this fun uh, dichotomy of it. Uh, but I know that with your tool, you basically give them the chance to instantly kind of see what's happening and and adjust. Uh, can you give us a bit of a of an example? Let's say yeah. a leader would come to you and be like, "Hey, you know, how can I make this part of time? Like, how do you?" Uh, plug in your solution for, for them to it's very to simple this. one thing there's a few principles we had from the beginning that we wanted to look at upskilling team leadership and the skills in the team like having difficult conversations time management better meetings and and the other part was to make it part of their daily work and also do it in such a way that it's simple um, and it's focused on the things that matter Teams. So the three things we focus on is we build belonging. Um, we also create psychologically safe environments. So we look at how a team can keep doing that and across the organization with other teams. And we look at team flow. And team flow for us is the performance piece. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like if you find enjoyment in your job, then you suddenly and you find times of deep work, then you'll very likely are performing at your best. Mm, yeah, so we bring yeah. those three together, and what we do is then, like, say, a team lead comes to me and um, says, "Imran, I've got a team of you know eight, nine people, and I just want to, and they're all a bit distributed. I want to stay on top of them." What we say is that, look, um, we don't need to do a meta meeting with them, so we get them to list all their meetings. And through that exercise, they generally reduce their meetings by 20 30 percent, and then we pick the meeting where we can put the data into. And say, so, look, what, where do you want to have your team retrospective, your team? meeting where you can have the data to talk about what improvements you want to do mm. and then we add it into that meeting and we then give a structure to that meeting and off they go as simple mm. as that and then they keep doing it and the interesting thing is at the beginning we had like you know 20 questions but now we're down to somewhere between five and eight sometimes ten mm -hmm. they're visualized and the hardest part was to get teams to talk about the conversation they need to have and not about, hey, what does this data mean? Mm. Because that's what happens with a lot of tools. They end up on the data and go, oh, what do, why are they, what do they want to know from me? And right. we've made it so simple. Like, hey, are we learning and growing as a team? Mm. That, that's a, it's an important thing. If 70, 80% of the team is not feeling, doesn't have to feel they're learning and growing, mm. then what's going to happen? Yeah. You know, there's going to be lack of motivation. People might start looking elsewhere. People might start thinking, might be thinking, hey, look, I'm not learning here anymore. Why am I here? This is just a job for me now. Look, it pays good money, so I'll just stick around. They start, mm -hmm. they start just floating with the rest of the team. So all these things happen, and you want to stay on top of it. And how can you do it as a team lead? Because I think that's really hard. As a team, you're sitting, they're trying everything, but you've yeah. got no data. What you've got is maybe 9, 10, 11, 12 different opinions. Yeah. So what's going to help us? So that's what we do. We, we just keep trying to... We, work with hundreds of teams to make a very, very simple tool to help team leads. 
that's amazing. I love that. And I want to, I just want to highlight again, the, the three things that you said, it's psychological safety, it's belonging and it's flow, yeah. right? So, so these three are, are the kind of, you could say the new measures of success for a team uh, that yeah. you guys basically some, plug in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's it. We kept on, we traveled the world to find out and we had eight variables at the beginning and we kept on coming back to these three. No matter whether we spoke to cardiologists, whether we spoke to performance experts, professors in business, professors in literature, we talked to a variety of people in industry as well, you know, people who work on production lines, people who work in high consequence jobs that if they make a mistake, people die like hospitals. So yeah. we looked at what makes these teams get to where they need to be, um, what makes the enjoyment happen, that, you know, what keeps them going, what creates sustaining power. And we kept on coming back to these three components. Nice. And you have nice. to keep working at them. Like mm. psychological safety, you ought to keep working at it. And yeah. when somebody new comes in, hey, you've got to keep working at it. It's these things that you'll keep working at. It's almost like when you're flying a plane. Yeah. And before you take off, you've got to go through all the checks. And if you don't do all those checks, then everybody's in danger. Mm -hmm. And yeah. it's, a, it's a practice. And it doesn't matter if you've flown 500 hours or if you've flown 10,000 hours. Mm. You go through the 40 checks, I think, 41 checks. Mm before you're allowed to take off yeah and this is what this does is gets in and I've, I've always realized some of the most experienced and best leaders i've worked for they are, when you look at them they go back to the basics and do the basics really really well 30 yeah. 30 years later though mm -hmm. it's interesting you know nice. it's like that's what i've always found that's beautiful. Thanks so much for sharing that. Yeah, and I, I've tested uh, Kokoro as well myself. You're like the tool you've built. It's uh, it's beautiful because especially it it captures what, how you feel in the moment, which is something fairly easy to to get to immediately, immediately capture. And then as a team lead, you would basically get the data later on, can interpret to say, hey, how we how are we doing? And it's very interesting because the three components that you really look at, like psychological safety, flow, and um, and belonging, is is uh, I can already hear the the contentness out of them alone, right? It's like, yeah, okay, like if it sounds like if that's right, like I'm gonna have a good time, everybody's gonna have a good time. Sounds like the team is gonna grow, people are gonna grow. Uh, so that is uh, incredible and, yeah, and exactly. I love that. And we've learned, we've learned so many things building the tool and and working with teams and organizations on it. And and one thing that really was a real eye opener is when we worked for a large sort of pharmaceutical company and there was the IT department with about three four teams. And um, we realized they were a bit set up in a um, in a way that they were also working across teams. Hmm. And so what we did was that through that we realized that you can't create any sort of hierarchy in a tool like this um it's up to the teams to decide how they want to tag each other so we created a tagging system in the software so people can tag themselves maybe in two teams and they can see the data from one team or the other team depending on the same person and they were the same person so we started realizing that the best way to provide data to people is is how they want to see it mm -hmm. and then the next thing came is one big question that came up around building this tool, and this was the fun part, was how do you kick off reflection? Because ultimately, ultimately, it's about how do I, how quick can I kick off reflection? Do we have to wait until Friday, 11 o'clock when we have our meeting? Mm. You think, no, you don't. And there were two things that happened. Number one, give data back to people as quick as possible. If they've mm. given you data, throw it back in their faces mm. so they have it because it's theirs. It's not yours. Mm. And then secondly, show them where they are in the group. 
so they can see where they are. I can share it with you. So you could go for a coffee. We could go for a coffee and I can show you where I am and you can show me where you are and we can start reflecting. Nice. And that was the whole idea to really get people to start using it wherever they can and start thinking about it. And, and it's really trying to make it hands-on. So if there's no reflection, nothing moves and you have to start that as quick as possible. Mm-hmm. Nice. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much. As a you know, a final kind of thing, because uh, you mentioned that there's in any change process, right? There is confusion that will come, and there is uh, at some point there's underperformance that will come, right? And something that m- many, especially leaders, let's say you would be somebody who has a sales team, that's your main thing, uh, you'll be like wary of implementing something to in- introduce underperformance, right? which would come anyways if you don't do anything, right? But still, you know, I, I see the hesitation there. Um, how do you see, like, what's the difference do you see? Like, how long is the underperformance time happening when you when you do something about it? And actually, you know, uh, like, can you shorten this time when shit is well, going down? Well, you can down? finish that sentence. Um, you know, like I said, like, you know, um, and the rest is leadership. So I work with leaders to create the environments where they can deal with the tension and the underperformance. So like with underperformances, it's a part of psychological safety. Mm. And you have to talk about accountability. So how do we set up for accountability? And accountability is the responsibility for results. So the three questions a team needs to ask themselves is, if we decide on doing something, how do we stick to it? Mm. Yeah. How do we talk about it? If I start feeling in my belly, it's not working. How do we bring this difficult topic to the table? And thirdly, how do we deal with failure? And how do we deal with disappointment? And that's what the team needs to learn. And if they've done that, then accountability becomes stronger. Then they will have less underperformance and maybe none at all because they've created a room to do deal with it. So confusion. Confusion very often happens because people don't feel they belong and they're not getting all the information. And so you thought it's a leader's job to create that sense of belonging by making everybody feel valued, maybe basically creating a space where they can talk about what they're doing and also talk about the impact each and everyone is having in the organization to other people, because that's how you create that appreciation. Mm-hmm. And then people start understanding, oh, I see what's happening. And then people then say, look, I'm still confused. And go, oh, okay, so you're confused about the strategy. Well, I just don't get this information. You go, ah, okay, so it's all about information flow. So what you've got to make sure is there's three questions I then do with leaders. I go, hey, where do people acquire their information? How is it processed? And the most important part, Mm. how do we redistribute it? And how do we redistribute it in the right way? Mm. And that is what then moves confusion out, right? So it's, I, and that's, and those little things you, and all these little things you get in the tool, like the cards flip over and then you can read and then the leader can then start leading because ultimately leadership is also there. Nice, beautiful. Yeah. Imran, thank you so much. What a brilliant conversation. Uh, so I think this is uh, super valuable for actually almost everybody that I know, to be honest. Oh, uh, so so this is pretty awesome. I hope everybody who's listening, you guys, uh, you check this out. Uh, I know I'll link it here in the show notes below. It's You, uh, you write it how you read it, Kokoro, right? Uh, it will also link uh, Imran's uh, LinkedIn below. Uh, so you, you can do. reach out to him. In and case... my email, Toma, and people can write to me. I always reply. So they can Absolutely. drop me a note and then um, I can answer their questions. And if I've confused them, they can ask me clarifying questions and I'll try to clear it up as well. Brilliant. Well, thank you for being so accommodating. Is there anything you want to leave people with? Any last words? Of yeah, I, 
think there is something that I have taken to heart and I, I think it happened to me at 25 years ago and it has not changed. And I think it, it also takes a bit of pressure off you is, is that, um, and this is the sentence um, that I wake up with every morning and it's, it's like, stop fixing people, start fixing environments or start making the environments where people can do what they need to do. And if it is, they need to fix themselves, they will. Nice. Thank you so much, Imran. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Uh, beautiful people, thank you so much for listening uh, to our episode of today's uh, Powers podcast. Please share it with your friends if you know anybody who possibly uh, needs to hear this, who needs to check out the tool. It is something you can try out and test out, and you should. Uh, um, please visit Kokoro uh, for further details on how exactly you can bring it. Write Imran an email if you want to say thanks, and I'm going to get in touch. And well, you know, I'm really excited to see what you're going to do with this. Uh, and apart from that, I'm looking forward to see you on the next show.